we now come to the covenant, or should we say the renewal of the covenant the Lord made with his people. And what an exciting portion of scripture this is. For our passage for today, Deuteronomy 4, 44 through 521 contains the famous Ten Commandments, literally the Ten Words. You might be thinking, Pastor, you've really gone off the deep end this time. Your learning is driving you crazy. How can the Ten Commandments be exciting? This is the law of God. The law condemns. You did remember reading that, Glenn, right? You know, Jesus said that the Spirit gives life. God gave us the law to show us that we cannot keep it, to show us that we need grace to get us to heaven. Now, is not this how we tend to see not just the law, but the entire Old Testament? So we can kind of sum it up this way. Law bad, grace good. But my prayer is that by the time we finish studying this most precious portion of God's word over the next few weeks, you will never see the ten words this way again. The law of God, the ten words, was not given to show anybody the way of salvation, as if by keeping these rules, humans can somehow earn God's favor. We will see in these verses that the Lord gave the ten words only to those who had already received his favor, his grace. The other side of the coin is true as well. The ten words were not given to those who were not God's people. And by the way, this helps explain why the non-Christian world is in the mess that it's in, because God didn't give the ten words to them. Now, I'm aware that many believe that keeping the Ten Commandments is central to salvation. Many people believe that. And that the Lord gave uh, the law to people to show us our need for grace. But let's get rid of the idea that keeping the Ten Commandments will somehow cause the Lord to declare us righteous. Again, as we will see, Yahweh gave the law, the Torah, to his people, people who he already delivered by his grace. So let me put it this way. God's deliverance of his people and the covenant he made with them was a precious episode of grace upon grace. It was grace, unmerited favor that God gave to Abraham and Sarah when he called them out of Babylon, Ur the Chaldees, and promised Abraham a huge parcel of land and to be the channel to bless the entire world through the Messiah. It was a grace-filled thing that God delivered his people, the descendants of Abraham, out of the iron furnace of Egypt, that they might inherit the land he promised to give them. And it was a grace-filled thing that God made a covenant with his people, summed up in the Torah, the teaching, giving them a blueprint that they might live the abundant life that God had called them to live. In the days of his ministry, Jesus reminded Israel of the blueprint of Torah. He described it this way in John 10, 10. I came that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. See, the Lord, his mission was not only to be God's lamb to take away the sin of the world. His was also to call people back to the ancient ways, the way of Torah. Now, Jesus in Matthew 11 28 through 30, invited everyone who were weary and who were heavy laden 
to come to him, and he would give them rest. And so I want us to turn there in your Bibles to Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, because I want us to see these words on the page, Matthew 28, 11 to 30. Jesus promised a soul rest to those who could, would come to him. So Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. He told them to take his yoke upon them and learn from him because he is gentle and lowly in heart and they will find rest for their souls. For my yoke is easy, he said, and my burden is light. But what's Jesus talking about? What is rest for one's soul? Is it stress management? I've actually heard that as an application by a pastor. Is it a good job with benefits to be exempt from being fired that can that be considered the rest for one's soul? Or only experiencing good and pleasant circumstances? You know, like the song that was sung way back in the day, where seldom is heard, a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. Is that soul rest? What was the rest that the Lord was talking about? For we could all use some of that right now. Would you agree? Simply but profoundly, it was the ancient way of Torah. Well, how do we know that? Well, simply this. Jesus had a habit that when he would say things, very little of it was original with him. Did you know that? Whenever he spoke, he either quoted or explained the scripture that was already written. And his invitation for the weary and heavy laden to come to him that they might find rest for their soul is rooted and grounded in Jeremiah 6.16. And here's what he says. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And what? And you'll find rest for your soul. In short, the way of Jesus is the way of Torah. And we find Moses giving the people the way of Torah, the ancient ways that the prophet Jeremiah and later the Lord Jesus himself referred to. The Torah, the way of Torah, is extremely important to God. And with that, let's dive into our passage this morning. Deuteronomy 4, 44 to 521. This is what we're going to cover today. Today I want to give us just an orientation to what we call the Ten Commandments. Now, as we heard the song, the perfect ten is what it was referred to in that song. We're going to read them today, and we're going to go into more detail over the next few weeks because we want to take our time with these words because these words are the heart of the matter of Deuteronomy and even indeed of Yahweh's relationship with his redeemed people. But before we launch into the ten words, let's hear Moses reviewing some of their history, which he had done all the way throughout Deuteronomy so far. And then Deuteronomy 44 to 49 is that history. So allow me to kind of summarize that. In these verses, we see a here we are and a why we are here moment. So where were they? They were at the new doorway to the land of promise with the Jordan River in front of them. They were in Heshbon, and Heshbon is just to the northeast of the Dead Sea. And they were standing, all all the people were standing right there on the ground they took from King Sion, the Amorite, by conquest, by military conquest. 
When we first opened Deuteronomy, Moses mentioned Kadesh Barnea, the southernmost part of the promised land. And we might want to call that the back door to the entrance of the land. But out of fear, Israel refused to go in. See, they believed those scary spy stories about their inability to take that land. Something about giants standing in their way. And the Lord disciplined them for 40 years and prevented them from entering his land. And now, four decades later, they were ready to enter the land. And for two reasons. First, the Israelites repented of their fear-based rebellion and they obeyed the Lord. They faced their fears and they fought the Amorites. And the Lord gave them complete victories in what I termed earlier the Syog campaign. And Moses, standing at what I now call the new doorway to the promised land, addressed the people in Heshbon. Well, today, people all over the world face enemies that seem like giants. Many in our country and even some of us here at Grace United are faced with a real choice, whether to take the jab or not. For some, the choice is about health. And some of you did your homework and that you've concluded that for the good of yourself as well as those around you, you need to have the jab, need to do the thing. And some of you have gotten those shots and others of you are considering doing that. For others, you haven't taken the jab and your job is at stake. You see no way out, and your employers are not allowing you to have any exemption of any kind. It's a real test of faith. Will you or will you not accept the jab? A tough decision either way. Now, I'm not here to say what you should do one way or the other. That's between you and the Lord. But regardless of your decision, make sure that you are confident that you are not violating your conscience. In Romans 14, 23, Paul counseled the Roman Christian and us by extension in the so-called gray areas of life. And he said this, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So seek the Lord's face. Spend time before the Lord in prayer. Do your homework and gather all the information from all kinds of sources until you are satisfied you have all the pertinent data. And then seek the Lord's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. And Jesus was talking about the needs that we have will be added to you. But the bottom line, regardless of who gets the jab or who doesn't get the jab, the bottom line is we are family. We now, especially now, need to live together in love and unity. And this may mean that we need to bring more of ourselves here, more of our resources here to the body at Grace United, things like food or finances or whatever. But in the midst of all that's going on, let's take care of one another as members of the family to show the world that we really do have a different spirit about us, namely the Holy Spirit. So the second reason Israel was ready to enter the land was that they were all fired up. They were excited to enter the land. They went from defeated cowardly troops to gain decisive victories over the two nation states in the Syog campaign. They entered the battlefield at the Lord's command now, and they were confident 
that the Lord would go in front of them and go before them to give them the victory. And that's exactly what happened. You fast forward a couple centuries later, and we see David talking to his opponent. He labeled him as an uncircumcised Philistine. He told Goliath, the battle is the Lord's. And David was a sharp instrument in the hand of the Lord to defeat the enemy. And God got victory over Goliath. Hallelujah. And so now we know the where. Israel was standing in Heshbon with the Jordan River in front of them. And now we need to ask, why? Why were they there? So we find a clue here in Deuteronomy 44, 4, 44 and 45. That this is the law, the Torah, that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And now chapter 5, verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. But Moses called the people to himself and set before them the Torah consisting of testimonies and statutes and rules. And so here's the part where Moses lays down the law where the people, if they don't perfectly keep it, God is going to kill the lawbreakers on the spot. If they disobey even one law, one time, God is going to exclude them from the land of promise. Right? Nope. (laughs) As we will see, these laws, these testimonies, these rules, this Torah serves a far different purpose than the Lord playing gotcha with Israel. You know that one strike and you're done type thing. Now, I describe the Torah this way and how we think so often we, we need to view the Torah this way because that is really how so many people think about it. We tend to see the law of God as a heavy burden, so heavy that Israel's returning to Egypt would seem to be attractive once they were saddled with it. Throw off the iron yoke of God's ways and go back into the iron furnace of Egypt. Isn't this how so many of us have been trained to see the law of God? Again, law bad, grace good. The Lord saved you and me, and as a result, he's given us a whole bunch of oppressive rules that we must perfectly follow. And if any of us steps outside of those very strict boundaries, God is going to zap him. God is going to zap her with a lightning bolt. And that's how much God loves people. Right? But remember how Moses described the statutes and the rules he gave the people. In Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, if you want to turn back there a chapter, you can do it, but we're just listening. He says this about God's rules, statutes. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. Why? For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, they will say this. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous 
is all this law, this Torah, that I set before you today. Far from being a heavy yoke, the Torah of Yahweh was a thing of grace, a thing of love. The Torah of Yahweh is a delightful thing to be learned and not viewed as some sort of a Damocles sword hanging over one's head. Torah, contrary to what we have heard, is not a mere legal code. You know, like the stuff contained in a manual that you get from the DMV that you regurgitate so that you can get your license. Torah means teaching, as in Moses teaching the Lord's ways to his people so that his people might know how to really live. Who made us? God did. Who knows how best that we tick? Who knows how best to satisfy us? God does. He does it through the ways of Torah. Now that Moses reminded them of where they were and why they were there, he brings to their remembrance the first time the Lord made the covenant with 40 years prior on Mount Sinai. And he says in Deuteronomy 5, 2 through 5, The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, I guess, and you did not go up into the mountain. And so in a nutshell, Moses simply had them call to mind the conditions surrounding the time the Lord met with them on Mount Sinai where he made the covenant with those standing at the foot of the mountain. Many of them were little kids then, but that scene was burned into their memory. How could it be otherwise? And I think of the unforgettable times that the Lord came to me in my past, and I'm sure as you think maybe the Lord, you know, in your mind, the Lord has come to you in unforgettable times as well. I think for my life, Labor Day, 1976, Dave and Steve introduced me to Jesus, and my life was never the same. I had the privilege of baptizing Jeremy, my oldest son, when he was about 10 years old in Lynchburg in ice-cold water at the hay when he was giving his testimony. And don't worry, I was there with him in the, in the tub, and so I was suffering too. Or a little later on, I had a chance to baptize my daughter Becca at the chapel service in South Carolina. And then on Easter Sunday, 2000, I had the opportunity to give the Easter message at St. Peter's Grotto, the church of Antioch, when I was deployed to Turkey. And a friend and sister in Christ, Joe Lisenby, took communion for the first time in her life because she discovered and realized of the grace she found in, in Christ. So I praise the Lord for the privilege of serving him. And we would think that such powerful moments in our lives would be a deterrent against drift away from the Lord. Tragically, we do. But there's forgiveness, isn't there, with, with God in Christ? And I praise him for his patience with me and for all of us who are his people. Let's remember and never forget how the Lord describes himself to Moses like this. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But what's amazing to me is when God said this to Moses, he said this literally within days after 
the golden calf incident when they were committing idolatry with that. Such an amazing God we have, full of grace, full of mercy. And so now with all that Moses said to set things up, let's read what we call the Ten Commandments. And I want us to read responsively, okay? Again, this is Torah. This is teaching. God through Moses teaches his redeemed people the way of life. And hopefully we'll put this, we'll pull this recitation off in a way that's not too confusing. Okay, I want to explain a little bit here. I'm going to have you join with me in in reading the various commands, and, and it's going to be on the screen. And with several of the commands, I'm going to add the extra teaching that Moses put there in relation to that to give further instruction to the people. Again, what is Torah? Teaching. It's not just law. And so, we're going to recite the parts of the commands, and that will be on the screen, and that's what you need to know, okay? So, with that said, let's experience together Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 to 21, the 10 words. He starts off by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So recite with me, if you will. Have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that the male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. For you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, And that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. That your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery and you shall not steal. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So there they are. Ten commandments, the ten words, in all of their powerful beauty. The ten words Yahweh gave to his redeemed people. Did you catch it at the very beginning? I am the Lord your God, your God who brought you out of, the, out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, 
we do these things. But lest we think that every last person was standing there that day was, as we say, saved and on their way to heaven, not so. As has always been with the Lord, each person must place his or her faith in the Lord in the way that he deems it. Just being in the community of God's people and hanging around with those who are saved and on their way to heaven, as we put it, does not mean that he or she is going to heaven when he or she dies. Never has been that way and never will be. For example, that's why when Paul writes to the Romans, he declared that not all Israel is saved. Those who spread Romans, you know what I'm talking about. In Romans 9, 6-8, he says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. Indeed, just because Moses gave the ten words to every person standing there does not mean that every person standing there was saved. But neither does it take away the power or the beauty of these words. Whether saved or not, a personal application of the ten words is a benefit to themselves, their family, and even as a nation. And that's why, so, for example, we as Americans have prospered for so long, for such a long time, because we kept at least had some of the semblance in our culture. And some people were obeying it. But today, we are suffering on the level of catastrophe because we no longer pay attention to these words. Isn't that true? Moses gave the Torah to everyone standing there. But they were standing there on that day because the Lord rescued every last one of them, either they or their parents. But that does not mean that every last person was truly God's people. And here's the reality. Applying the ten words to one's life does not mean a person is righteous before God. Rather, a person is righteous before God because he has placed his or her faith in Yahweh. And that's the starting point. And those who have placed their faith in the Lord will show it by loyally, not perfectly, but loyally living out these ten beautiful words in their life. Personal application. For us as Christians, it's the same thing. For Christ, Yahweh in the flesh, is the one that we look to for salvation. True? And after having repented of our sins and placed our faith in the true gospel of Christ and the true Christ of the gospel, now we get to show the Lord. We show ourselves and we show others that our faith is placed in him by living out his ways, as summarized in the ten words that we just read together. In other words, we make visible our faith in the invisible God by living out the ways of the Lord. And so as we bring this message containing some of the most beautiful words of grace that we could ever hear, bring it to a close, now let's forever see the ten words in the way that the Lord intended for us to receive them and to hear them. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you today to a three-question call and response that we're going to visit many times as we go through because there's a lot of commandments in Deuteronomy, as we know. Now, this call and response is a short but a simple 
and necessary thing if we're going to see the commandments of Yahweh in the proper light as God's redeemed people. And the questions go like this. Question one is, who was this command or statue or rule given to? And the answer is God's people. Question two, who was this command, statue, or rule not given to? Not God's people. And why did God give the command, statue, or rule to his people? The answer, that God's people, what? Show him that we love him. So let's practice this call and response to the ten words that we heard today in general. Question one, who were the ten words given to? Second question, who were they not given to? Not God's people. And third question, why did God give these ten words to his people? We love him, right? See, in Deuteronomy 5.10, did you catch it? Yahweh told his people, in essence, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Isn't it amazing? Old Testament, and now we see New Testament. In John 14.15, Jesus explicitly says this. He tells his disciples, if you love me, what? You will keep my commandments. You sense a pattern here somewhere along the line? Let's love him royally. Let's love him more and serve him better. Why? Because he loves us first. Let's pray. Lord, it's been a great day hearing your servants from Brazil giving us information, giving us their story, giving us how they are serving you in that place, an alien culture in some ways. But Lord, everybody is, uh, who are married, have children, is in a family, regardless of where we are in the world. And we all have family concerns. All of us, Lord, who know you as Lord and Savior, we want to have our families to, to love you and to serve you. And so, Lord, we do, again, pray for Angie, pray for Laura and their children. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would put a hedge of protection around them and the rest of Emmy. We thank you, Lord, for their ministry. We thank you, Lord, for the people who are partnering with them to, to come alongside them to help them. Thank you, Lord, for allowing them to come to, and share with us today. And, Father, today also, as we've gone into your word and heard once again these ten beautiful words, beautiful words of grace, Lord, the enemy has so convoluted this that we really do think that they are heavy burdens. Lord, I pray that you would free us from that satanic view of your holy word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for enabling us to not only accept your word, but to want to live it out. So, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to live it out and to show the world, to show ourselves and to show you that we love you because we're obeying you. Because, Lord Jesus, you told us that if we love you, we will keep your commandments. We thank you, Father, for the opportunities and the privileges that we have every day to do this. Help us, Lord, to say yes to you over and over and over again. And so now, Lord, I pray that you'll help us as we turn our attention to our giving now and also to our singing. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to do these things as an act of worship. And we will give you thanks, and we will be praised for them in Jesus' name.